Good morning, Cornerstone family. It's always good to be here. Uh, in the first service, Elmer shared that Pastor Andrew and I shared a bed. Um, I don't know how that was public knowledge. Um, gets, gets the cats out of the bag, but just, uh, yeah, we had a body pillow that clearly divided our beds. Um, anyways, let's reflect on God's word this morning in Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. And if I could ask you to stand as our act of worship, as we honor God in the reading and receiving of his word. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Hear now God's inerrant word. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We rejoice and we're glad in it. Lord, you invite us to come, not merely as guests, but as sons and daughters, the Lord Most High. So Lord, we're here, your children are here. Speak, O oh Lord, for your children are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Desperate, daring, disrespectful are just some of the words that come to mind as I think about this woman in our story today. There's something both captivating and confusing about this woman. She will not be told no. She refuses to be sent away. She will persevere until the Lord responds to her request. Why is she so persistent? How could she be so bold? And on the flip side, the response that Jesus gives is shocking. At face value, it's insulting and off-putting, dare I say it's a little racist and misogynistic. Why does Jesus say what he said? What can we learn about their interaction? What can we learn from her? What can we learn about Jesus? We're gonna to try to answer these questions under this gospel truth. The least and the unlikely are most welcome to the master's table. The least and the unlikely are most welcome to the master's table. Let's reflect on God's word under these three headings. Cry of a mother, conversation with the Messiah, crumbs from the master's table. Cry of a mother, conversation with the Messiah, and crumbs from the master's table. Let's look at the first heading, cry of a mother. And before we jump into our text today, I want us to spend a little time understanding the context of our story. Before Jesus has this conversation with this woman, he has a conflict with the religious leaders of the day. 
I didn't read the beginning of chapter 15 for time's sake, but to sum it up, the Pharisees and the scribes, they come from Jerusalem to interrogate, really to accuse Jesus of teaching something that was not in accordance with their religion. The question at hand was, why do your disciples, why do Jesus' disciples break the tradition of the elders? Why don't they wash their hands before they eat? You know, back when I, back when Pastor Andrew and I roomed together during our seminary days, there was this one time we almost got into a fight. I've known him for 14 years. We'd never once fought. There's this one time we almost did. I'm gonna embarrass ourselves. Uh, it wasn't a physical fight. It wasn't a verbal fight. It wasn't a pillow talk fight. It was over something so trivial. We were both getting ready for class and he said something that offended me. He said, why do you get dressed like that? He wasn't commenting on what I was wearing. He was commenting on how I got dressed. You see, I always put my socks on last. Shirt, pants, and then socks right before my shoes. But for Pastor Andrew, it was always shirt, socks, and then pants. It was such a trivial comment, but it bothered me because there was an implication that not only did I dress incorrectly that day, I've dressed incorrectly my entire life. It was how I was taught to dress. It's how my mom taught me to dress. So not only was I wrong, my mom was wrong <laughs> and her mother was wrong. It's the way Lee's dressed. And so obviously it left a bad taste in my mouth. Now full disclosure, now I put socks on before pants, but that's besides the point. I share that with you because there's a similar interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders, and it has to do with tradition. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? We always did it this way. We always washed our hands before we ate. You see, the Pharisees meticulously followed the tr tradition of the elders because they thought that if they followed the rules, these cleanliness rules, then they can make themselves clean before God. They can make themselves acceptable before God. And they missed the point of the rules. No ritual, no law keeping could ever keep them undefiled. That's what took place in the previous section, the beginning of chapter 15. Well, immediately after that interaction with the religious leaders, we read in verse 21, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. You see, Jesus leading up to this point has been healing people performing miracles, he's preaching, he's debating against the religious leaders, he's exhausted. His ministry was physically demanding and it was mentally taxing. And so we read that Jesus withdrew. Probably the four toughest years of my life was while I was in seminary. I would commute back to North Jersey on the weekends to serve as a youth pastor. Every weekend, it was exhausting study during the week, papers, exams, and then Friday I would drive up to North Jersey to be with my youth group Friday night, finish my sermon on Saturday, <laughs> all day ministry on Sunday, and then drive back to PA Sunday night. And every week, almost every week, I would doze behind a wheel. And often what I would do is I would pull off to the side on the shoulder or go to the nearest rest stop, rest stop to just close my eyes, right? I, I never planned my rest, but I was just so tired, I had to stop. Now, I share that with you because when we read that Jesus withdrew, what we need to understand is that Matthew places these stories side by side to show us that 
This wasn't just a quick nap break at a rest stop. This wasn't a, a quick pit stop before Jesus got back on the road to Jerusalem. You see, Jesus wasn't merely withdrawing from a location, from a place. He was withdrawing from his people. He was withdrawing from the opposition, the rejection from the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And he withdrew to where? To the district of Tyre and Sidon. This is Gentile country, Gentile territory. This is not a friendly region to Jewish people or to Judaism. And we know what the Jews think of the Gentiles. They stayed away from them. Did you know that in the ancient world, a Jew would rise up, a Jewish man would rise up and recite this prayer every morning. This is a prayer found in the early Jewish text. This is, uh, this is how the prayer went. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who gives the rooster understanding to distinguish day from night, gives sight to the blind, clothes the naked, raises those who are bent. It sounds like a great prayer, doesn't it? This is how the prayer concludes. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me, listen to this, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, and a woman. That prayer makes it clear what a Jewish man thought of himself and really thought of about anyone else who wasn't a Jewish man. A Jewish man kept his distance from a Gentile, much more a Gentile woman. Well, who does Matthew introduce to us here? A woman, a Gentile woman. Again, Matthew is cluing us in that this wasn't a random pit stop for Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus was with the Jews. He was supposedly with the clean people, and now he enters the land of the unclean, and who does he encounter? And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region. And behold, Matthew wants us to see that something extraordinary is taking place. Behold, a Canaanite woman. This is a big deal. It's significant. Notice Matthew doesn't write a woman from that region came out. He doesn't say a Gentile woman. He says Canaanite woman. It's the only time this word, this adjective is used in all of the New Testament. You know, in Mark's parallel account, the woman is described as Syrophoenician, but Matthew purposely uses the word Canaanite. Why? Because the implications of using that term would have been clear for the Jewish audience. It's a derogatory term. What was Canaan? Who were the Canaanites? The Canaanites were the ancient enemies of Israel. If you know your Old Testament, the Canaanites were the ever-present threat to Israel. They were the enemies who just wouldn't go away. They were the enemies who influenced Israel with idolatry. They were the enemies who swayed Israel to worship other gods. And so here is this woman, a descendant of the enemy of ancient Israel, approaching the Holy One of Israel. No wonder Matthew says, behold, you see, for the original audience, this was unheard of, inappropriate, unfathomable, because no sane woman would dare approach a Jewish man, let alone a highly esteemed rabbi. This woman has no business approaching Jesus. Matthew's readers would have said, whoa, 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 she's disqualified from approaching him. And yet, she comes out to meet Jesus, crying, begging, pleading, why? The unimaginable is not that inexplicable. 
think about the desperation of this mother. Imagine the horrible things she must have witnessed her daughter go through. Imagine how horrible it must have been to witness your own child inflicting harm on herself, convulsing, throwing herself in harm's way. What mother would sit idly by? What mother wouldn't do everything in her power to protect her child, to restore her child, to heal her child? This woman is utterly hopeless. She cannot do anything to help her daughter. I have to imagine she's not only exhausted, but she's exhausted her options. She has come to her wit's end. And so in desperation, she what? Request something of Jesus? No. This woman is crying. In Greek, she's literally shrieking. This isn't a one-time request. She is begging she is frantically pleading. I'd imagine she's uncontrollably sobbing. And what we'd expect next is a great PR moment, another great PR moment for Jesus. What has been Jesus's MO? How have we seen Jesus dealing with those who are helpless in the past? Compassion, mercy, restoration, healing. This is the Jesus who reaches out and touches the lepers. This is the Jesus who is not afraid to touch the defiled. This is the Jesus who is not afraid to associate with the unclean. This is the Jesus who welcomes sinners. But what happens next is a bit shocking. Let's take a look at the conversation between this woman and Jesus under our second heading, Conversation with the Messiah. This conversation begins with a crying out. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Again, we would think that this would be another opportunity for Jesus to shine, to demonstrate his care and compassion to this mother who is desperate. She's begging for help. But notice what Jesus does here. What do we read in our text? Verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. He stands there. He's silent. But not only is she met with his silence, he rejects her. Verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he, he meets her with silence and then rejection. And if that weren't enough, he then insults her. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You know, as I read this passage, I had questions for, for both parties. First, what is up with this lady? Why is she so persistent? He's silent, he rejects her, and then he insults her. Three strikes, lady, you're out, you have to go home. You can't play here, you're not welcomed here. I mean, he just called you a dog. Have you no pride? Second, what's up with Jesus? This seems so uncharacteristic of him. Why go through the trouble of insulting her, calling her a dog? Now, I know in this country, we have some people who love their dogs more than their children. And when Jesus calls her a dog, it is kind of a, 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 you know, referring to a pet like a puppy. But anyway, you slice it up, he's insulting her. He calls her unclean. And the point is simple. You don't bring your dog and put it up on the table with your children. You know, if you're having a meal and the dog jumps up on the table, you don't say, oh, Toby, let me make a 
mat for you. Let me prepare a play for you. No, you say, down, Toby. Now, Toby. Or you go back, Toby. No way the dog sits at the table with your children. So the question is this, Jesus, why take it this far? Just ignore her, dismiss her, disregard her. Just say no. What if it's because Jesus doesn't want to say no? Let's think about this. He could have stayed silent. He could have dismissed her. He could have flat out said no, but he engages her in conversation. You see, Jesus is not pushing her away. He's actually pulling her in. He's not dismissing her. He's actually drawing near to her. He's not insulting her. He's inviting her. And if I could express or explain by way of illustration, and this by no means is a perfect analogy, but hopefully you'll get at the heart of what's taking place here. I remember the week of my eldest son's fifth birthday, he was asking me nonstop, Dad, what's, what are we going to do for my birthday? It's so annoying. You know, he was so persistent. Ah, you know, he's a kid, super excited to celebrate his fifth birthday. It's a big number, right? It's five, one hand. <laughs> and all week he was asking, what kind of cake can I get? What's the theme? Who can I invite? Where are we going? And at first I said, Micah, we'll see. And as the day kept getting closer, he kept asking questions. And I said, Micah, please stop asking me these questions. And I was standoffish. Why? I had no idea what we we're going to do. <laughs> but by Wednesday, two days before his birthday, I had it all figured out. I was going to take him to his favorite place in the world, church. Just kidding. Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> but I didn't tell him that. I didn't tell him that. It's Friday. It's the day of his birthday. And I still kept it a secret. We're in the car driving, and he has no idea that we're going to meet Charles Edward Cheese, his favorite person in the world. <laughs> and he kept asking questions after questions. And I was still very curt. But deep down inside, I couldn't wait to see his reaction. I couldn't wait to surprise him. I couldn't wait to take him to his favorite place in the world. Now, let me ask you, do you think that Micah at any point thought there was nothing planned? No, of course not. He had no idea what was planned, but he trusted that I was going to do something for him. I'm his dad. I love him. He trusts his dad. He doesn't know where I'm taking him, yet at the same time, he knows I won't fail him. Now, in the same way, here is Jesus who can't wait to welcome her, who can't wait to commend her. The proof is in verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. He doesn't say so many questions. You're so annoying. Fine, here, just go. I'll heal your daughter. No, there's great excitement. He commends her. It's as if Jesus couldn't contain his joy for her. Keep asking. Keep coming near. Don't stop asking. But you know what makes this story even more remarkable? Micah trusted me because I'm his dad. But this woman, what's her relationship to Jesus? Think about this. Here's a woman outside of the covenant. Here's a woman who by birth is a natural enemy to Jesus. And yet she has greater insight about Jesus than his own people. She has greater understanding than the Pharisees and even the disciples. Did you notice how she addressed Jesus? She doesn't call him rabbi. She doesn't say wonderful teacher, miracle worker. She doesn't merely say, oh, Lord, but she says, oh, Lord, 
son of David. It's clear to some degree that she knows who she's approaching. Oh Lord, son of David, she knows she's approaching the Messiah, the promised one. She's approaching the one who is mighty to save, the one who is compassionate to save. You know, one of the commentaries writes, if the apostle Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, then this woman was a Gentile of Gentiles. If ever someone was a Gentile in the flesh, the uncircumcision, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, a stranger to the covenants of providence, having no hope and without God in this world, it is this woman. And yet, Jesus stands in front of her and he engages her. Do you see what's going on? The people who should have embraced Jesus, the people who should have found Jesus worthy of worship, the people who belong to the covenant, take offense at Jesus and challenge his authority. Whereas this pagan woman, a descendant of ancient enemies, one who has no claim on God, boldly approaches him and confesses her need for him. We see both irony and beauty in this story. What is Matthew teaching us this morning? He is showing Christ's heart for the least and the unlikely. Matthew is showing us that the least and unlikely are most welcome to come to Jesus. And that invitation extends to those of us in this room. If you came today feeling marginalized and overlooked, the Lord sees you and meets you. If you came this morning feeling disqualified, the Lord never disqualifies you. If you came this morning feeling unwelcome and out of place, the Lord welcomes you. And church, here's actually a good litmus test to see if we're growing in the gospel. Are we including those whom society has marginalized? Who are we excluding? Who are we avoiding? Who have we determined unfit? Who have we determined unworthy? To whom have we concluded? No way, not a chance. You see, Jesus is teaching his disciples teaching us a lesson here. What he does is masterful. It's as if he leads the readers in a direction thinking that he was going to dismiss her, disregard her, push her away, only to rebuke and challenge the reader, to rebuke and challenge the disciples. He's showing us that this woman gets the gospel more than any of the religious leaders. This woman has greater insight than even his own disciples. What's that understanding? Let's take a look under our third and final heading crumbs from the master's table. The highlight of this story is in verse 27. When Jesus says it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, did you notice how she responds? She doesn't say, excuse me, what? Ugh, you can't call me that. I don't care how great my needs are. You don't have any right calling me a dog. No one calls me a dog. No, she doesn't get upset. In fact, she actually agrees with Jesus. She responds by saying, yes, Lord. What is she agreeing to? She is agreeing that she is unclean. She is admitting that she is unfit to sit at the table. She's acknowledging that she has no right to approach him. She's not disagreeing with him. You know, one of the signs that you get the gospel is that you freely admit that you have a need. 
The gospel allows you to see yourself for who you really are. Think about how this directly contrasts against how the Pharisees approach Jesus. The Pharisees are unable to see themselves for who they really are. And so their approach to Jesus is completely different. I'm here. I belong here. I'm qualified. I'm clean. I made it. I'm whole. I'm put together. I don't need you. I got this. Compare that to what this woman is saying. I'm unworthy. I'm unclean. I'm inadequate. I don't belong. I don't have it all together. I need your help. I'm totally unfit. But notice she doesn't stop there. After agreeing and admitting her neediness, she says, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Do you know what she's saying? I get it. You're absolutely right, Jesus. I am a nobody. I don't belong here. But I'm not asking you to give me what I deserve based on who I am. No, I'm asking you to give me what I don't deserve based on who you are. You are the king. You are the compassionate king. So great is your mercy. So abundant is your grace. Give me according to who you are. You see, she had the boldness, the confidence to approach Jesus based on who he is. And that's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel will show you yourself or who you really are, but the gospel won't leave you there. The gospel will take your eyes off of yourselves and allow you to behold the beauty and wonder of who Jesus is. And friends, can I remind you this morning that it is the Father's delight to welcome sinners like you and me to his table, to have fellowship, to know and taste the true and living God. But there's more. We come to his table, not as strangers, not as orphans, not as servants or mere guests, but he welcomes you as his adopted sons and daughters. You sit at the table as royalty. Do you know why? Why is that we sinners have that honor? It's because God's perfect son was cast out without crumbs. God's perfect son was dismissed. He was disregarded. He was forsaken. As Christ cried out and begged, he got the silent treatment. Why? So that when you come to the master's table, you who are not even worthy of crumbs, you get everything. God offers himself to you this morning. He welcomes you to his table this morning. May you delight in him this morning. So my prayer is this, that we would allow the gospel to penetrate our hearts. And as we hear the Father's voice inviting you, fellowship, to welcome, to taste his goodness, that we would embrace him, that we would embrace his voice, we would embrace his heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your heart for us each and every morning, that you delight to welcome us, you shower us with abundant grace. And though we do not deserve you, though we are not worthy of even the crumbs at the table, God, you on the cross 
cast your son, your perfect son, without even crumbs. He got the silent treatment. He was disregarded. He was dismissed so that we would be welcomed, we would be whole, and we would get his righteousness. Lord, thank you that we are not only placed at the table, but we come now as sons and daughters. We thank you for this love. Who is there like you? There is none besides you. Lord, remind us of this gospel truth every waking morning. When we doubt, when we lack boldness, Lord, remind us of this gospel. Remind us of the work, personal work of Jesus Christ. We thank you and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.